You're listening to High Temperature Times, and we're thankful to be here this Thanksgiving to talk more about refractories. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I am an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. For this very special Gobble Gobble Day, we're going to cut us some turkey breast, get a big scoop of mashed potatoes, and talk about research and development at HWI. To do that, I'm very pleased to announce that we have Don O'Brien back from retirement to regale us with his stories. With him is Martha Collins, bringing HWI's R&D team to the new age of discovery. Where we have traditionally rooted around in our technical marketing inbox for a question from our audience, Thanksgiving is about family. And with Harbison Walker International being a family of companies, I thought it would be a good time to talk a little bit about that. Refractories are practically as old as time itself, and the companies behind HWI were there at the onset. Most notably, AP Green Refractories, North American Refractories Company, and Harbison Walker Refractories. Harbison Walker got its start in Pittsburgh in 1865 with the purchase of Star Firework Company by Hay Walker and Samuel Harbison. Harbison Walker was primarily focused in making refractories to support the booming steel industry, with Andrew Carnegie's iron mills being their primary customer. AP Green was founded in 1910 by Alan Percival Green in Mexico, Missouri, thanks in large part to the rich veins of clay he identified in the area. To this day, that clay in Mexico, Missouri is known to make some of the finest firebrick in the industry. Additionally, it was AP Green behind the expansion of the, the American Refractory Company into Europe, Asia, and Mexico. With its 1960 production of a monolithic plant in Bromborough, England, a 1996 production of a castables plant in Chilagon, Indonesia, and the purchase of controlling interest in a refractory plant in Monterey, Mexico. AP Green truly put the international in Harbison Walker International. North American Refractories, oft referred to as NARCO, was founded in 1929 as a consolidation of six other refractory companies, including Ashland Firebrick, Crescent Firebrick, Dover Firebrick, and many others. Unlike Harbison Walker, who worked primarily out of one plant, NARCO sprawled as an organization, with several plants all across the U.S. All that said, many other companies found their way into the HWI umbrella as well, including General Refractories and Charles Taylor Refractories. General Refractories, or Grefco to some, brought multiple plants across America into the fold, many of which continue to be key producers for our customers today. Charles Taylor Refractory, famous for its integral service to the glass industry, continues under the HWI name to supply key products to our glass customers. When installing brick like Tamil, TZB, and Tacor, know that it's Charles Taylor brick you're using. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how all of these families came to become one. It was ANH Refractories with AP Green, North American Refractories, and Harbison Walker joining together as one company in 2002. For 13 years, ANH dominated the refractory industry before rebranding as your well known Harbison Walker International in 2015. Being Thanksgiving, it's important to remember your family, and HWI has a lot of family to be thankful for and a lot of knowledge behind it. Thanks to all the people and the companies who came together to make HWI the leading name in the refractory industry. With the largest refractory research center in North America, HWI's Advanced Research and Technology Center in West Mifflin, PA, really is where all the magic happens. With a team of research and development engineers, scientists, and the technicians behind them, HWI performs post-mortem analyses, product development, product improvement, plant qualifications, and really just a whole slew of other things. I'm not hamming it up when I say they really are smart cookies. At the spearhead of all of that development is their chief technology officer, Dr. Martha Collins. And somewhere in the middle, rummaging around in the dirt, we have the recently retired Don O'Brien joining to tell us what, what he found. Welcome, you two, and thank you for joining the podcast. Good afternoon. Thank How you. are you? 
Yeah, doing well. Martha, you've been with the company for a few years now. Can you tell me a little bit about your career and how that's transitioned into the work you do at the ATRC? Well, sure. Thanks, Griffin. Um, it's really great to be part of your High Temperature Time series. Well, I've spent 31 years of my career in research and development, and I consider myself a continuous student all the time learning about innovation. In fact, my kids like to kind of call me a nerd. I guess it's because I love all things technical. So after I earned a PhD, I started as a bench research scientist in the chemical industry. I was designing new products and, and progressed later into technology and innovation management. So today, as HWI's chief technology officer, my team is accountable for new products, which has been a big part of my career, so I love that. But also, um, we have the technical expertise in all the technologies that support our products. We call these people subject matter experts or SMEs. You may have heard that before. Um, plus, we work with manufacturing and procurement on raw materials that we buy to make our products and the processes that we use to produce our products. Lastly, we work with the commercial organization to support customer needs in terms of analysis, as you mentioned, postmortems, slag analysis, and lots of other product properties that they may have questions about. So, Martha, while you're just starting to sink your teeth into all this, uh, being with the company for about five years now, correct? Almost. Dawn, you're on the other end of the spectrum, having recently <laughs> retired. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And yes, far on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I want to talk to you about your retirement, maybe I'll keep on to the scope of this podcast and ask you about some of your history at HWI. My history at HWI, well, that's, that, that might be longer than we want to spend. But uh, <laughs> well, I think one of, the, one of the things that it's important to understand is that I've had the opportunity with, with Harvest and Walker and the, parent, and the companies that were previous to Harvest and Walker, to be able to do a lot of different things. And that included starting my career in research and going into product safety, um, going into uh, product stewardship, being a plant manager, moving over to technical marketing, running a business unit, and ending up, guess what, back at research. <laughs> Not like me at all, Don. I just stayed in R&D the whole time. You just had to come back to us. Yep. So... As a time-honored Thanksgiving tradition, before we dig into the meat of the podcast, I was hoping you two might be able to share what you're thankful for in this industry. Uh, Don, would you do us the honors of going first? Well, absolutely. And, I, and actually, this is a really, really easy question for me. What I'm thankful for are all the wonderful people that I've got to know from being both uh, colleagues at Harbison Walker International and also colleagues from the, our customer base and colleagues from our supplier base. Uh, there is nothing greater than the fact that this small group of people who take care of the refractories industry and handle refractory products and use refractory products, um, they, they're kind of a, a small family. And it, those relationships last a lot longer than simply the jobs. Thank you. Martha? Well said, Don. Well, when I was thinking about thankfulness this year, it made me think a lot about what we're going through as a country and a world, and that is the pandemic. So I'm really thankful that our business, which is a critical business, um, we've been able to provide all the products that our customers need. And we wouldn't be able to do that without really the great team of people who have come to work every day. My R&D, uh, our center, tech center, our plants, nothing shut down, and we didn't lose a beat. 
And it's really all about the people that are at HWI and the passion that they have about what we do and how we really support our customers because without our products, our customers' uh, processes can't work. So I'm very thankful. Well, I'm thankful for you two being here to share more about the ATRC. Um, I guess let's start with the past and move forwards. Uh, Don, you've been with the company for the longest, a very long time. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to age you. But he- <laughs> that's okay. The hair and wrinkles already do. Uh, well, it's the podcast. They can't see your hair and wrinkles. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but even that isn't the dawn of the refractory industry, as we learned in the family history, right? <laughs> what, what can you tell me about what it was like working in the refractory industry at the onset of your career? Wow. Um, the, at the, when, the, when I joined the refractories industry in 1980 and I, I was in research, I think one of the things that sticks out is that it was a different time in that the technology of refractories, while the refractories manufacturers were now having their own research centers and were starting to do product development, up until that period of time, until the really the, the, the um, you know, I will say the mid-70s on into the mid-80s, so much of the technology was actually being developed and managed by the refractory using industry. Companies like Bethlehem Steel and U.S. Steel had research centers, and they were doing a lot of the development work. Same thing with Alcoa. Some of the glass companies, uh, Corning had its own refractories division and and manufacturing facilities. Mm -hmm. But what was changing at that point in time was the the responsibility for the technologies were being moved from the using industries over to the, the refractory manufacturing industries, which I think is a pretty significant difference of what from where it is today where it's 100% or let's say 95% the manufacturing uh, industries that own the technology and manage the technology. Not to say that the customer's voice isn't critical to that process, but it's just a different different flavor. How did you end up, uh, I mean, you mentioned in your, in your introduction that all the different positions you've taken throughout, uh, throughout your career here, um, what, what sort of drove you into the position of uh, outside technology and open, open innovation within the research group? Well, that didn't take much driving. That just simply <laughs> took the fact that somebody said, would you consider doing this? And I went, oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, because it's so much fun. Uh, there is so much that you know you can do if you can have a little bit of time to freely focus and explore things that with without having that specific role, you just you just don't get it done, whether it's in research or rather it's in technical marketing. There's just too many other irons in the fire, too many urgents that you take care of. This gave me an opportunity to spend a couple of years working on kind of what ifs instead of have to haves. Well, and Don, you kind of ended up really customizing the job, you know, and gave it your own name even. <laughs> Yeah, right. And I think anybody who's in that job has to customize it because mm-hmm. you can't do that without working within your own skill set. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the reasons why pers- a person shouldn't be in that job for more than maybe five years and let somebody else take it because they bring a different set of skill sets to that. And, you know, I, I would have, well, I doubt I would have run out in five years of things to work on, but I don't um, think so. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would have. But, but you see what I mean? If you have a different set of skill sets, you're going to see other things that I may never have seen. Well, you certainly got a creative eye for it. And you, you the, and the new technologies that we brought in, a lot of which have, have already been talked about on the podcast so far, uh, were because of you, your connections, the, the, the people you've worked with, and the skill set that you brought to it. Yeah, nothing more exciting than that for me. <laughs> I just I get to sit and watch. <laughs> <laughs> 
So on the other side, Martha, you've been with the company for about five years as, the, mm -hmm. as a CTO. What did you think about the industry and the idea of research um, of such an, in such an old science when you started? Yeah, I knew you were going to bring up that you're 150 years old here. So, <laughs> But you know what? So I'm a scientist, and actually there's no such thing as old science um, because knowledge is constantly evolving, insight happens, um, and so actually I was pretty excited um, to join, and, uh, and it wasn't really my skill set in refractories. Um, you know, it's all about minerals and inorganic chemistry, and um, I, I was a, a material scientist, so I, I knew new things that there's lots of fascinating things to understand about materials. And another thing is, you know, we make formulated products. So there's lots and lots of interactions with the materials that we put together, everything from the sizes that you put together to the minor components, to the fact that we're using a lot of times natural products that come out of the mining industry. So there's, there's just so much. We've, we've gathered a lot of knowledge over the years, but there's lots more to discover. And in fact, you know, the, um, some of the things that we're doing are very new, and uh, you went to thought of it. So additionally, um, uh, a lot of things that, that Don did in his role was to go into other industries and find some of the things that they're doing that could be applied into our industry. We didn't really want to be completely staying in our own silo. So there's lots of new things to bring. Uh, to help our our customers be more successful, and they don't they aren't always um, coming from our labs. So no, it's been it's been real exciting. Now, Don Martha mentioned um, that you you working with outside companies, you know, not even in our industry to see how we can incorporate that. And I've I've spoken with you about some of these projects, and it just <laughs> the creativity and the innovation <laughs> of it all really blows my mind. I loved hearing about it. So can you tell us a little bit about some of these projects that you've worked on? Oh, we've you know obviously, and as you say, Griffin, some of them already have been covered in our, our podcast on your podcast. But um, for instance, the uh, Harrison Walker's introduction of the new mini pump, mm -hmm. um, which is for shock creating refractory, in a way that is as as accessible to the end user as gunite is, with all the advantages of having a shock create product, a wet mix product as opposed to a dry mix product at the nozzle. And, you know, that came out of the fact that we knew that they were doing some things with some new pump technologies for some of the concrete industry, mm -hmm. um, got with the right technical partners, had the right conversations, and were able to develop a, 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 what I think is going to be a relatively novel and very uh, valuable machine um, mm -hmm. for the, the, the contractor installer uh, whenever they're doing uh, um, maintenance and repair work. So that would be one. Uh, we did... Um, we, we did a number of projects with, uh, with a company called Construction Robotics, um, which is the, uh, the Mule, which is a lift assist system. I think you've also had a podcast on that. Um, and again, this was looking at what are, what's happening in the construction industry. And let's face it, refractories, installation is a construction process. So mm -hmm. what can I learn from what's going on in the general construction industry, the building construction industry, and how do I apply those architectural technologies over to the refractories market? Um, and actually, there's, that one is a pretty exciting one because it's already out in the market, but I do know that there's a bunch of other things being worked on which are going to even be more exciting, which I think is really cool. <laughs> You're still in my line. I think like some of the best is yet to come, and darn it, we can't just all talk about it, <laughs> but maybe in future podcasts. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I'm curious. Like, I, 
we've talked about all your successes, right? Are there any epic failures of, of some projects that you've worked on that you've just been like, this This was exciting, we were going down this route, then we found out that <laughs> these, these things just don't line up? There have been 10 epic failures for every one success. There's a better way of looking at it. And that's what you expect out of that type of role. Yeah. Right? Because you go down a path and you say, boy, I want to do this. And we were looking at um, some additive manufacturing technology. Oh, yeah. That, that's right. Yes, it was. It, it's cool. It's good. But for the things that we were trying to accomplish, it just became impractical. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and actually it was kind of, kind of funny because we went through one and then we went and looked at another and then we went and looked at yet a third, which wasn't quite truly out of the manufacturing. And I think that one's actually going to come to fruition. So, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, no, failures. Yeah. I more than, more than my share. <laughs> and, and maybe five years down the line, whenever the next open, uh, outside innovation, um, person steps in they'll bring that different skill set and they'll find a way to make it not a failure that's true and 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 you know what you also tie everything to the world of the market need yeah and those are going to change as well so martha many of our customers know the value of the atrc through the post-mortem analysis requests and the slag analysis Mm -hmm. but what might our listeners not know that shows how these people are underneath you and the scientists and the engineers the technicians are more than just the sum of their parts Our technologists are involved in um, some interesting things like committees, right, that look at, um, say, specifications or testing methods. We're participating in like a round robin um, with uh, even other refractory companies so that we all can get the same kind of data. We also have people that are um, writing technical publications. That's another big one that uh, you don't always realize that that takes time and effort and uh, to actually put things out that are valuable for other people to read and learn from. So I would say that we participate quite a bit that way. Uh, Some of the other things that we do, um, we recently worked on like a new test method. We're looking at rapid dry out. And really we didn't have the best way to predict it in a scientifically sound that we felt really confident. So it takes time to develop test methods that give you the answer that you can repeat, right? That's science, it has to be repeatable, that you trust and that will help you when you are taking products out, have a lot of confidence. So all that kind of um, framework that you have to put into place to actually say, hey, we do have something new, we can show it to you, it'll be valuable to you. So there's a lot of background work like that. Um, that a lab will do that will never you'll never see the light of day yeah Yeah, that's sort of something that I thought of while you were mentioning Uh that like you talked about the importance of mentioning the scientists because of the value they bring to the company (laughs) if if you go to any university most of their research is pure blue sky science Mm -hmm. right it's not uh, it's not new product development driven right it, it, do we do a lot of blue sky science w- within the company as well? Well, we do something I call industrial science. The end of industrial science is not necessarily just knowledge, which is what a lot of academic institutes produce. We want to produce knowledge that can be useful and practical to our business and what we produce. So it really has an end game. We, we do have what I call fundamental refractory science projects, where we have a question about like, how does this really work? And we need to know how it works and why it works so we can do a better job designing the future 
uh, with that sort of knowledge. So it's really, um, uh, it's much narrower than blue sky. I would, you know, we stay in our um, space. Do we work with academia in, in certain scientific aspects? Actually, we do. Um, as a refractory supplier, you'd be really surprised how often um, not only um, academia, but even like research institutes and government groups will come and talk to us about um, our materials and how they might be useful for some really weird different things, as you know. <laughs> so we've had some, we, we do a lot of what I call in-kind, where we will give them some knowledge, we'll give them some product, uh, pro, you know, some of the materials that they need. And it's all done gratis because we do, we do like to um, also provide some benefit to society through our materials. Yeah, I, I don't know why, but I feel like Don has a lot of examples. Don has, well, he was, he was, that was part of, uh, you know, what he was doing too. You know, and actually that's another part of the, the great value of ATRC. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm actually speaking from a role of being in technical marketing. A lot of times I would be working with a customer, for instance, that has a specific need. It's not something that is just simply, oh, I know what this is because I know this is the right solution. I may have an opinion about how the customer could use one of our products to solve the problem, mm -hmm. but I'm going to go back and I'm going to go to those expert, uh, those, those subject matter experts, subject, subject matter <laughs> experts, and I'm going to ask them the very specific question. You know, here's what the customer needs. Here's what I think. What do you think? What would be? What are my pros and cons? What are alternatives I have? And it makes me look brilliant because I go back to the customer with a great answer, <laughs> but it wasn't me. It, it, you know, it, it sort of takes a village, of, a village of, of yeah. scientists and technologists to be able to come up with those types of answers and support your customer base. Yeah, and sort of back to um, in joining a company like this, one of the things that was exciting and surprising was how radical and committed everybody was about refractories. It's like you go to the, get a cup of coffee and people are talking about refractories and what they, and you know, um, so it's a real big passion for all the people. And then so, some would call it a mental illness, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Don's right. You've never heard someone be so excited about dirt since Jurassic Park. There you go. <laughs> and we've talked a lot over the last uh, 20 or so minutes about all the things going on inside the ATRC. Mm -hmm. um, Don, can you talk to us about some of the things that go on? outside the ATRC with all of our researchers and scientists and and how we've helped the customer um, outside of it. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more to what ATRC brings than just the the day-to-day the -day research and development work and, 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 and testing and that type of thing, because obviously, again, these are the subject matter experts, so they also become people who are the communicators, the, the, the people who present information to our customers. For instance, we do a, tr a number of training sessions at ATRC. These guys are part and parcel of, th of that process, doing demonstrations, doing training. Um, when we're, there's a problem out in the field, and it's a problem out of the field that is not going to be able to be resolved by simply uh, a technical marketing person going out and looking at it. We need to get the, the scientists with us. They're out there with us. They're out in the field uh, looking at the problem or better understanding the application or the needs. So, yeah, there's a lot of what happens at ATRC that's outside of ATRC, including even working with our customer or our, our suppliers. Uh, I've had a lot of ATRC people looking with me 
at new suppliers and new supplier technology because I need their insight as I'm looking at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we send our our research engineers and scientists out into the field. Like I especially am passionate about if we have a new product that we've been uh, working on in the lab until you actually go and watch maybe somebody else handle it or use it, um, you may not know if you had it quite right. So we do have a whole set called field trials. You know, we have a process to develop products. We call it rapid technology advancement or RTAs um, that uses a, a phase gate process. But there's a stage in there called field testing. And we stay, we stay involved and we may have to tweak something and see, you know, it literally looks different in your guys' hands than it looked in ours. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of participation um, science, you know, is a is a collaboration sport, um, which means you can collaborate not just with amongst yourself, but with your customers. We collaborate with our suppliers to try to get materials from them that we think would be um, really useful. Um, so, you know, it's a 360 degree um, kind of um, process. Mm-hmm. So before we close uh, and enjoy ourselves a little slice of pumpkin pie, it's important that we crack the wishbone. Due to a certain global pandemic that's not to be named, we can't do this in person, so we'll have to pretend, and I'll do a little digital wishbone instead. As you know, whoever gets the largest half has their wish come true. My ask to you is, what do you wish for the refractory industry over the next oh so many years? Looks like it's dawn. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think my, my simple wish for the refractory industry is that uh, all the people that are involved in it today can have as much fun and have as much joy as I got it out of it for the last 40 years. Well, thank you, Martha and Don, for joining in to discuss the work we do for the refractory industry. It's easy to look past the fact that the refractory industry today is the best that it's ever been, and that is entirely thanks to the researchers who have created better products, developed more efficient installation techniques, dove deep into new science and novel uses for new materials. Without research centers like these and the critical thinkers like Don and Martha and all the people below them, we would still be slinging bricks like in the Stone Ages. HWI is and always will be committed to advancing the the refractory industry and supporting our customers with existing products and new products to really put intensity to work. Happy Thanksgiving. Like and subscribe. Gobble, gobble.